You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of 2 Samuel. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, you guys. We're continuing to look at the life of David. Of course, David has fully assumed the throne. And Kevin spoke last week about some of David's victories and conquests. And we talked about the heart of David, and how that David's heart was a heart after God's heart. And that was demonstrated in a lot of different ways. And we're going to continue to see that tonight as David reaches out to this this young man who's the son of David's friend. You remember Jonathan. And Jonathan had a son whose name is Mephibosheth. It's probably the hardest name in the Bible to pronounce, so I'll probably screw it up tonight a whole bunch of times, but we'll see what happens. But we first were introduced to Mephibosheth back in chapter 4 when Ishbosheth, who was Saul's son, was murdered, and it was kind of the end of the reign of Saul. And, and we, we saw that this nurse picks up Mephibosheth to flee because in, in their mind, if David is assuming the throne, then he's going to kill everybody that is in Saul's family because that was sort of the normal thing to do. When, when one king would take over for another, if they weren't family, then the newly appointed king would typically just assassinate everybody that was associated with previous king. And so Ishbosheth is murdered. You remember that back in chapter 4. So this nurse is like, let's get out of here. They're going to kill us. Picks up Mephibosheth. Somehow the, the poor guy falls, busts up his feet. He's lame in his feet. Doesn't tell us how, but apparently his feet are jacked up. And so we're going to see that tonight, that David reaches out to this sort of last remaining family member of Saul. And, and kind of the, the theme of this chapter as we look at it tonight, something I want you guys to think about, is that a true test of a person's character is how he treats those that can offer him nothing in return. A true test of a person's character, a true test of your character, is how you treat people They can offer you nothing in return. See, we're all really good at being nice to people that can offer us something. If we're going in for a job interview, we're we're all really good at kissing the, the, the interviewer's butt, right? I mean, we can just be so nice and kind and friendly and say whatever they want us to say. And if somebody has something for us that we want, it's really easy to be nice, but it... It's the person that can offer us nothing. It's the person whose mere existence is of zero consequence to us. How we treat them. That's the true test of our character. And you look at the life of Jesus and you look at the people that Jesus ministered to. You look at the people that Jesus reached out to. The woman at the well. Do you think the woman at the well had anything to offer Jesus at all? If anything, she made Jesus look bad. Just associating with her wasn't good for his PR. A Samaritan, a woman, 
a loose woman at that, been divorced five times, living with some guy that's not even her husband. Jesus was not boosting his reputation by hanging out with her, and yet he ministered to her. He loved her. How do we treat people that can offer us nothing in return? I think most of us as Christians are pretty kind and pretty friendly and very gracious to those that we need to be. I mean, we figured out how to do that at church because we want people to think highly of us and they know us. But it's the, the, the person on the phone that you're never going to meet, never going to see them. They can offer you nothing. In fact, they're wanting to take from you. And I mean, look, I'm the worst about that. But we don't know what's going on in that person's life, do we? And we may have just thrown them over the edge. Or, or the person at the store, person that you assume that you're never going to really have any kind of relationship with them. They offer you nothing. They're just sort of a prop in your life. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, in other words, those who have been called and redeemed and purchased by God, Christians, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, that's your position. You may not feel like that. You may not feel very holy, and you may not feel very beloved at times. You may not feel like God loves you very much because of the circumstances of your life. But know this, you're holy, you're beloved by God. What does he tell you to do? In light of this, in Colossians, much like Ephesians, is, is, begins with all that God has done for us, sort of split down the middle, all that God has done for you, and then... Boom! Here's what you need to do for God. See, there is some responsibility. There is some demonstration. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. The the word, it's like putting on clothes. Now, I don't know about you, but God doesn't dress me in the morning. Does God dress you? Put on. This is something that you do. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful And so he begins now to go from something that's very personal here to something that's very corporate. But above all these things, put on love. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. He's now speaking of the church. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that's speaking of the corporate body teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's an incredible passage. Essentially saying, put on these attributes, kindness, meekness, humility, love, Put these things on. And here's how it happens. It happens in the corporate body as you allow the word of God to dwell in you richly. And so this ridiculous notion 
that we don't need to get together as a church anymore, and that we don't need to have the Word of God spoken to us and taught to us, that we're just going to sit around Starbucks and drink coffee and talk about religious things is a load of BS. It's not what the Bible says at all. It says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. In the Greek there, it means the body, corporately. And we see this kindness that Paul talks about there. Putting on kindness. We see this demonstrated in the life of David in an amazing way. Absolutely phenomenal. Because David is on the throne. And you know what it means when you're on the throne? That means you don't have to care about anybody. I'm the king. You care about me. You meet my needs. You do my bidding. I mean, if I'm the king... And especially if I'm the king the way David assumed the kingship, having Saul throwing spears at him all the time, running around trying to save his life, having Saul just be an absolute madman, having the throne given to him but not being able to assume the throne for like 17 years. I mean, at that point, I'm thinking, dude, it's about me. Saul's gone And you idiots are going to do my bidding now. But that's not what David does. In chapter 7, we saw David wanting to build a temple for God. A house for God. He wanted to serve the Lord. He wanted to do something for God. And that's, that's a good thing. But here's how that will manifest itself, you guys. Because God basically shut that down for David, right? And David did go on the corner and cry and moan and say, God, why can't I do what I feel called to do? He just said, okay, I'm going to continue to serve. And what he wanted to do for God ended up manifesting itself in now ministering to others. See, we talk about, I want to serve the Lord. And and tons of young guys say, "I I want to serve God and I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to be a missionary. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a worship leader. I want to do something for God. And here's how it manifests itself is in the daily activity of life and how you treat others. Because a true test of your character is how you treat those that can offer you nothing in return. See, that's ministry. That's ministry. And until we grab a hold of that, we're never going to be of any use in public ministry. Until we understand that it's in those times where nobody's watching, nobody cares. In fact, nobody would even judge you in any way, shape, or form if you, you didn't do anything for this person. But you know that God's opening a door, that God's giving you an opportunity and if you miss out on it, you're, you're missing out on, a, on an amazing, supernatural gift that God is giving you. And that's how David felt about Mephibosheth. It says, now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You remember the, the relationship that David and Jonathan had and that David said to Jonathan, That forever he would be loyal to him. They made a covenant. And so David is remembering this covenant. And he he begins to seek out anyone in Saul's family. He, He seeks out Mephibosheth. Is there anyone left in the house of Saul? That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. This this word kindness 
is, is a word that, that's a covenantal kindness. It's hased. We see it throughout the Old Testament. We see it very clearly in the book of Ruth as Ruth shows hased to Naomi. You remember that as we studied Ruth not long ago. That, that there was that kindness that Ruth showed Naomi, that Boaz showed to Ruth. It's a, it's a covenantal love that is more than just words, that it's demonstrated in action. See, it would have been real easy for David to say, Hey, go tell Mephibosheth, if he ever needs anything, I'm here. Go tell that jacked up uh, son of Dave, Dave, uh, Jonathan, yeah, go tell him that, hey, if he ever wants to hang out, tell him to give me a call. But that's not what he does. He seeks him out. And you might be thinking, okay, Lord, if you bring people to me, then I'll be kind to them. Lord, if, if you open radical doors, then, then I'll, I'll go through them and I'll go through the motions. But what we see here with David is that he seeks him out. He's very proactive about it. Who's God calling you to seek out? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe you got some old crotchety neighbor that everybody in the neighborhood hates. And for good reason. Nobody wants to talk to the guy. And, and maybe the Lord is saying, you know what? I want you to go to his house. I want you to bring him some cookies. I want you to take a deck of cards over there and just go play cards. Don't bring him a Bible or some tract or some agenda. Just go there with kindness. Maybe there's something very practical that you can do. Begin to build a relationship. Begin to build a bridge. Maybe there's somebody in your family the black sheep of the family that nobody wants to talk to, that nobody likes, that you are actually bitter toward for something they did to you in the years past. And God is saying, I want you to seek them out. I want you to be proactive about it. So you can pray until you're blue in the face, but sometimes you just have to take the initiative. Lord, do you want me to go across the street to the guy that nobody likes that's going to hell and be nice to him? Gee, I don't know. Right? That that's the sort of things that we do as Christians that are just absolutely ridiculous. Praying about the obvious. It's like God's already said, you're on mission. People are headed for destruction. So go ahead and go tell them about me. So with an old crotchety guy, it's not going to be real effective to go knock on his door and start preaching at him. You're going to have to build the bridge. Nobody else is going to do it. David seeks this guy out. So that he can show him kindness. Not so he can just go and give him a bunch of fluff and say, Oh, how much I loved your dad. and Man, we used to hang out and it was cool. Here's my phone number. Call me sometime. He wants to show this guy Hased. Covenantal love. The same kind of love that God shows to us. The, the same kind of favor and blessing that God had put upon David to make him even in the position that he's in. See, David is starting to connect the dots of saying, you know what? Yeah, it wasn't that long ago that I was like the least of my father's household taking care of sheep and God called me and God put his hand on me and God showed me his favor and now I want to go do that for somebody else. See, and that's what you guys need to realize is that God is calling you. To show the love and the favor and the kindness that's been shown to you to somebody else. People need to see it in you. David seeks him out. 
Is there anybody in Saul's house? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. I mean, this is the kind of guy you want working for you. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? See, David just can't wait to show kindness. Is that how we're living our life? Is that how you're living? You just can't wait to show somebody God's kindness. I mean, I'll tell you what, it's not how I'm living. Most of the time, I can't wait to give somebody a piece of my mind. I can't wait to show somebody that I'm kind of ticked off. I can't wait to find somebody that's going to bless me. But David seeks out a guy just to bless. I I just want to bless somebody. I just want to show somebody kindness. Is there anybody? Is there still not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Notice that, that this is how this guy is always described. It's not very politically correct. But it's how this poor guy is always described. Yeah, there's, there's this one kid, his feet are jacked up. You, you might want to talk to him. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face. And so what we see now is not only did David seek him out, but David relieves his fears. Remember how we talked about that the previous dynasty would be pretty paranoid that they were going to get exterminated? Well, Mephibosheth apparently has been in hiding somewhere. David doesn't even know where he's at. He comes out of his hole and he's afraid for his life. He bows down to David, prostrates himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. The second thing we see is that David relieves his fears. Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. See, there, there was a reason for this. This wasn't independent of, of anything. David had made a covenant with Jonathan. And so the kindness that Mephibosheth is going to receive is based on the relationship between David and Jonathan. And that's interesting. I want to show you kindness. Dude, you don't need to be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to harm you. I've sought you out because I want to show kindness to you. And when you reach out to that person, there's a little bit of fear. People have genuine fear about Christians. It's kind of like, What am I going to get? Am I going to get blasted once again? Am I going to get told I'm going to hell? Am I going to get told how horrible of a person I am? Am I going to get forced to go to your stupid church? I don't want any of that. I'm I'm afraid of that. I've been down that road. And we have to be very careful how we approach people and to relieve their fears. David said, look, don't worry, man. I'm not going to hurt you. I don't have an agenda. I just want to bless you. Because the true test of a person's character is how they treat those who can offer them nothing in return. Did Mephibosheth, this dude that can't even walk, did he stand to offer David anything? Absolutely nothing. 
David said, do not fear. I will show you kindness. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. At this point, Mephibosheth's ears would have perked up. Like, what? Like, if I would have known that, I would have come out of hiding a long time ago. You're going to give me my grandfather's land back? You don't have to do that. Really? And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Notice David doesn't say to him, Hey, I'm going to give you a lifetime supply of food. You can take it back to your crummy little house across town and just stay out of my way, okay? And make sure you tell everybody that I'm a really nice guy. Here's an all-you-can-eat pass for life. Somebody will bring you food and somebody will serve you. Just don't get in my way, okay, man? I, I want to help you out a little bit. Your, your, your dad was a friend of mine. See, that's what we can do with, with even things like our soup kitchen. If we don't do it with the right heart. See, and that's why it's really hard to bridge the gap from needy person and Christian who's helping. Because automatically they've got this preconceived notion that you're just doing this to get a notch in your belt. You're just doing this because you, you, you have to. You're, you, it's just part of what you do. You're wanting to make yourself feel better. See, and they already have that wall that's built up. And if all that we do is slop some food in front of people, or like the Crook County Connect that we did a couple Saturdays ago, if we just offer people service but our heart really isn't in it, it's kind of like, look, I'm going to fix your car, but I don't really like you very much. I'm going to give you some food, but please, we're not going to have a conversation, okay? You're, you're you, you're unemployed, you're homeless, you're the needy person, I'm the one that's got it all together, okay? I'm going to slop some food in your bowl, go sit down, shut up, and leave. I don't want to have anything else to do with you. See, we can think that we're doing a, 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 a kind gesture, but that's only part of it. In order to bridge the gap, we've got to get down with them. We've got to relate to them. We've got to show them that we really care about them on a human level, that there's kindness flowing from us to them, that there's compassion. See, that's what David does. He says, look, you're going to eat at my table. Again, if I'm David, I'm thinking, I don't want this guy at my table. I've got important people to entertain. I've got nobility to talk with. I could have anybody in the world at my table. And I'm going to have Mephibosheth? Are you kidding? See, it'd be really easy. Here's some food. Go home. Make sure you tell everybody that the king's a really nice guy. Hey, that's a nice thing to do. But David takes it a step further. You're going to sit at my table. You're going to come into my house. That's what God's calling us to do, you guys. We might wonder, how come it is that we're really not having much of an impact on the community? Well, kindness. People don't care about your God. What they, what they want to see is that this God has radically changed your life. So much so that you care about them, a person that can offer you nothing in return. You're going to sit at my table and eat continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. The third thing we see is that David provided for his needs. We already have seen he brought him into his home. He said, you'll eat at my table. David sought him out. 
David relieved his fears because Mephibosheth knew he's probably dead. When he heard the call, David wants to see you, he figures it's over. And probably for the best anyway. I mean, what is my life? I can't make a living. Who's going to marry me? You know, do you think they had really advanced wheelchairs then? I mean, we see in the New Testament, and this is like a thousand years later, dudes are getting carried around on like, you know, gurneys and stuff that are, that are paralyzed. The wheelchair had not been invented. So this dude, he's like laying around. That's, that's his life. And you know how worthless that feels when you can't even provide for yourself. He says, why would you even look upon a dead dog such as I? He was fully expecting to just be eliminated. David says, I've given your master's son all that belonged to Saul. You know, if I was David, I don't think I want anybody of Saul's family to remain. I mean, that's a threat. You could be threatened by that. Let's get rid of any inkling of Saul. I don't want to see this person. I don't want them in my house. Just your very face bugs me, dude. I mean, have you ever had someone that you you don't like? It it kind of colors your, your picture of their kids. Typically, if you've got an enemy, you're not hanging out with their son. I mean, Saul had absolutely terrorized David. Nobody would have blamed him at all if he would have killed Mephibosheth or if he would have just simply ignored him and pretended like he didn't exist. But to go to the length that he went to bless him, Mephibosheth is absolutely blown away. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. Ziba all of a sudden is like, wait, what? (laughs) I didn't bargain for this you mean i'm going to serve him you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat but mephibosheth your master's son shall eat bread at my table always now ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants then ziba said to the king according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant so will your servant do as for mephibosheth said the king he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. This is repeated over and over. He's going to sit at my table. I'm not just throwing him a bone and shutting the door. I'm not just slopping some food. I'm not just doing my duty so that I can say, I kept my agreement with Jonathan. I'm going above and beyond. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. And it closes, just so you don't forget, and he was lame in both his feet. It's not by accident that the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this time and again. We already know he's lame in his feet. It's almost painful. Can you imagine if somebody was mentally handicapped? And you kept describing them as the young man who's retarded. The young man who's retarded. The young man who's retarded. Okay, we get it. Please quit saying that. The poor guy. Why is the Holy Spirit wanting us to pay so much attention to the fact that this guy was totally helpless? Because there's a bigger picture here. Remember how we learned in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that, that David's throne 
would continue on forever. We know, biblically, that Jesus sat on the throne of David. That David is a picture of Christ. That there's a greater than David. And so when we read about David seeking out Mephibosheth, instantly we have to say, that's Jesus. He sought me out. Now we have these things. We say, I found God. I came to Christ. And they're all nice little sayings. But here's the truth of the matter, you guys, is that God in his sovereignty, in his providence, in his election, can't argue with any of that. It's all very, very biblical. God sought you out. You didn't seek him out. He sought you. Now, it may have felt like that you came to Christ, but he's the one that illumined your eyes. Otherwise, the Bible says you would never have even known he existed. He sought you out, just like David did. And you stood before God, and you realized he's showing me kindness. Why would you even want to associate with a dead dog like me? I've got nothing to offer you. And God could have just simply done this. Hey, you know what? I love you, and I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you from my judgment. I'm going to show you my mercy, which would have been way more than we deserved. Way more. He could have just said from a distance, okay, look, I'm a loving God. I hate to see you go to hell, so I'm going I'm to show you my mercy. I'm going to save you from hell. But he went beyond that, and he showed us his grace. And he brought us to his table. And he said, I want you to eat with me. I want you to have fellowship with me forever. Oh, because I'm, I'm such a good person, Lord? Because I've got my act together? No, you're lame in your feet. You've got nothing to offer God whatsoever. See, a true test of a person's character is how they treat those that can offer them nothing in return. Well, God passes that test big time, big time. Because you and I could offer God nothing, zero. We're spiritually bankrupt. We kind of have this idea sometimes that, that God got a good one in us, you know. I mean, why wouldn't he want me? We're a dead dog, lame in both of our feet. We've got nothing to offer God. He brought us to his banqueting table. He showered his love, his mercy, his kindness, his hased upon us for absolutely no reason except his love for you and me. We don't deserve it. He sought us out. He relieved our fears. You may have not known it, but you would have eventually that there is a God to fear. His wrath, his judgment. And you deserved, like Mephibosheth, to be absolutely wiped out. To stand before him and not to hear him say, hey, why don't you come and I want to have fellowship with you and I want to bless you. But to hear him say, you're a sinner. Your life is jacked up. You're an enemy. Go to hell. That's what we deserved. And honestly, I think most of us would feel like there was a time in our life where we believed that that's exactly what was going to happen. My life was absolutely and totally on a collision course with destruction. And yet God relieved our fears. He said, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of my wrath. I poured it out on my son. He took it for you. And we see in Jesus that he provides for all of our needs, just like David did for Mephibosheth. God in Christ provides for all of our needs. Romans 8.37 tells us that if God did not spare his own son, how shall he not also freely give us all things? 
and we're worried about jobs and money and how am I going to pay my house payment? How am I going to take care of my kids? And God's just saying, look at the cross. Look at the cross. I've provided for your greatest need. I'll provide for these little needs. Don't worry. I've brought you into my house, to my banqueting table. I've said I'm going to take care of everything for you continually because you can't do it. You're incapable. You're jacked up. But I'm going to do it. Just trust me. See, Mephibosheth had no guarantee. He, he, he didn't get to see all of this at once. It wasn't like he could look at this tangibly. He just had to trust David's word. And I'm sure that the next morning when he got up, he kind of pinched himself thinking, is this really true? Is David really going to do this? Or is this all sort of a setup? Am I in some kind of a game He just had to daily trust. And the longer he sat at David's table and the longer he conversed with him and had relationship with him, he realized this isn't a game. This guy really does love me and he's providing for me and he's showing me kindness. And the longer you walk with Jesus, you guys, the longer you realize he really does love me. He really is going to provide for me. He really does show me kindness He really does want to just hang out with me. He didn't just shout from the heavens, I love you. He really, really wants to hang out with you. And man, when you grab a hold of that, when you grab a hold of that concept, it changes everything about God. God is no longer some distant, pie-in-the-sky, all-powerful creator which he's all of that, just like David was king and sovereign and rich beyond your wildest imagination. I mean, all of that was true. But Mephibosheth knew David on a whole different level than anybody else. He sat at his table, man. That's what God has for you. He sought you out. He relieved your fears. He's providing for your needs. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's called you his own. Not because he saw something in you that was really, really special. Not because he he saw some kind of righteousness in you or some redeeming quality. No, you were a dead dog. Spiritually, you were lame in both of your feet, incapable of doing anything for God. And he called you and he said, come, I want to show my kindness to you. I want to show my love to you. I want to bless you. Guys, if that doesn't make you want to surrender everything to God, If that doesn't want to make you serve him, if that doesn't want to make you tell other people about him, we got the best message in the world, man. We got to start telling people about it. When you get a hold of this, it changes everything radically. God wants you to hang out with him. When you get a hold of that, then it makes you say, where are the really hurting, jacked up people that can offer me nothing? I want to bless them. I want to show them kindness. Those are the people that desperately need to hear about him. Let's go find them. Let's tell them about this God that wants to pour out his love on them. Let's stand and pray together. Father, what an amazing passage of scripture. God, forgive me for only being kind to those that can benefit me. God, may I begin to see people through gospel lenses. 
Lord, may we as a church begin to see people through the grid of the most amazing message in the world, Lord. May we begin to show kindness and love to people that can offer us nothing in return. Lord, may we grasp a hold of the gospel tonight like never before. Lord, may we belly up to your table and allow you to lavishly love on us and bless us, God. Lord, some of us tonight have got this wall between them and you, Lord. They they don't really believe that you love them. Lord, I pray that you would obliterate that wall tonight, God. That you would pour out your love and your grace upon each one of us, Lord, and that we would allow you, that we would totally open ourselves up to you like never before and experience your love and your kindness in a way that we never have. Lord, do that in each one of us. Lord, no encumbrances. Remove them, Lord. Remove this works relationship, God. Remove this mentality that says when I'm doing well, when I'm reading my Bible, when I'm praying, when I'm going to church that you love me and when I'm not doing that, you don't. Lord, you don't care. Lord, you've given us your word because you want to talk to us, but it's not some kind of works thing. You've offered prayer to us, Lord, not in some way that we've got to add up the amount of time that we're praying, Lord. It's just a relationship. Lord, the the works that you've called us to have already been created by you. We just need to walk in them. Lord, they're sitting over there ready for us to pick them up and walk in them by the power of your Spirit. Lord, and we're thinking we've got to create it. We've got to make it happen. God, forgive us. Wipe out all that garbage and that wrong theology. Lord, help us to see that like David, you're calling us to simply come and sit at your table and you're going to provide for us and bless us continually. Lord, that is awesome news. Lord, may it excite us. May it just totally revolutionize our relationship with you. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, you may do so at our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com, or you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Once again, thank you for listening, and God bless.